read, remember this is God's word. Galatians 6, starting in verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. You can have a seat. Amen. All right, we're at the finish line. Here we are. We've been fighting for grace for 12 weeks. Uh, this is our last week uh, here in this book of Galatians. Um, it's been, I think, a, hopefully for you, a, a good and a helpful study. I know it has been for me. I'll share um, some of what God's been doing in my life actually uh, through this and through some other things in a moment. Uh, but we're here, uh, we're finishing, and we're going to try to finish strong. I don't want to finish weak. I don't want to limp to the finish line. I want to lean through the tape, you know. My wife's a swimmer. you got to get the wall, you know, get, get there. We're going to finish. And I like this because Paul finishes this letter that he has been so intense about, and he finishes with the same kind of urgency that he started with. Uh, we looked at, at the very beginning, how this letter is unique from a lot of the other letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, in that he doesn't start with a real sort of warm, fuzzy greeting, uh, I've been praying for you, I love you, you are all so wonderful, you, oh, I just can't wait to see you again. He doesn't start with that at all. He starts with a, a tenacity. He says in chapter 1, I'm astonished that you're so quickly walking away from the person who called you, from Jesus. And he, he has that kind of intensity throughout the letter. That's why we called it Fighting for Grace. And he's going to finish with that same kind of intensity. Most of his letters as well finish with, and greet these people that meet in this house. And, and I remember this, oh, he was so wonderful for me. And bring my jacket, and, right, and this sort of stuff. And it doesn't end like that. It just ends with this push to the finish line to say, here's the core of everything I've been talking about. And then he finishes verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Smell you later. He is just going all out, all the way. Um, part of the reason for the lack of personal greetings may be that uh, this was written to a group of churches in this region, and so perhaps there weren't quite as many individuals uh, there, but that he was familiar with, but, but I think there's an urgency here. So Paul's finishing with this urgency that he started with, and the urgency has fundamentally been about this, in case you're joining us for the first time, you came to the last uh, part of our series. Here's what this has been about. This has been an urgency because Paul had started these churches proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, that he died as a substitute for sinners on the cross and was raised again, and that simply and only by trusting in him could you be made right with God. That was Paul's message. And onto that had come these men uh, he calls the Judaizers, these men from Jerusalem who had come in to spy out their freedom, and their message was Jesus plus. 
Now, in our day, there's a lot of Jesus plus messages out there, aren't there? A lot of Jesus plus. Jesus plus giving this much amount of money. Jesus plus attending church with this level of frequency. Jesus plus avoiding these kinds of rated R movies. Jesus plus, uh, I mean, on and on, whatever it is. And, and that, a short way to call that would be legalism, moralism. It's religion by works. Now, in this particular case, the Judaizers, they were trying to get the people in Galatia to be circumcised, to eat kosher, and to adopt a Jewish law and custom. In other words, they wanted them to become Jewish. It was Jesus plus. And so Paul had been, had been fighting throughout this letter. He started the first couple chapters talking about just his own experience with it. Uh, he talked in chapters 3 and 4 about theologically uh, why this is true, that you can only be made right with God, that that's how it's always been. And, and that's kind of the vertical piece, how you can get right with God. In chapters 5 and 6, he began to look horizontally and say, okay, if this is true of us, this should impact how we live and how we treat one another. And now he's going to wrap a bow on it. He's going to conclude this. He's going to say, if you get nothing else, get this. And he clues us into that in verse 11. Look at verse 11. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Paul uh, used the custom that most people in these days uh, who would write letters uh, would do. We don't know exactly why he did this, but this is a common thing he did in all of his letters uh, where he would use dictation. He would dictate the letter and someone else would write it down. And at this point at verse 11, Paul grabs the sheet of paper, says, I'm writing this last part by myself. We're not exactly sure if this is just verse 11 or if it's this whole section. Uh, Most commentators seem to think it's probably the whole section. And Paul is saying, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Now, he would sometimes write in his own hand just so people wouldn't forge it. You know, you could know, okay, this is really Paul's signature. And the large letters, people have gone, well, is that because he had bad eyesight or just was a lousy writer or (laughs) penmanship was bad? I mean, what what was this? It seems like what he's saying is, this is a big deal. It's like when you text someone in all caps. Some of you just use all caps all the time in your email and text, and we think you're yelling at us. (laughs) Okay, stop that. Just when it's emphasis, right? So Paul is grabbing the sheet and going, all caps, this is important, don't miss this. So you may be tempted at this point, especially if you've kind of tracked with us to go, week 12, here we go again. you got to get this. Paul is going to bring this home. And here's fundamentally the question that he is asking the Galatians. And it's the same question that he's asking us. It's the question he's asking you and me. The question is, what are you boasting in? What are you boasting in? What are you standing on to give you assurance of some sort of good relationship with God? What are you, the word means to take pride in, or the King James will say to glory in. What are you glorying in? What is at the bottom of of your understanding of why you can relate to God. What are you boasting in? And Paul will say, you're boasting in one of two things, and he's calling you as he concludes this letter, and I'm calling you by the power of God's Spirit to this letter to make a choice. Where are you going to boast? 
Will you boast in yourself? What Paul calls the flesh, the the power of your own willpower and your own doing. Will you boast in yourself or will you boast, as it says in verse 14, in the cross? So Paul concludes this fundamentally asking that question. And the way he asks this question is by comparing uh, the ministry of the Judaizers to his ministry. He says, you want to boast in the flesh, that's what they were doing. And he gives a case study, some descriptions of what they were like. And he does the same of his own ministry. And what we see here is Paul describes five things about each one. This is a way to sort of see a test about are you boasting in the flesh or are you boasting in the cross? So first, let's look at uh, what it is to boast in yourself. And this should be very familiar to most of us because we spend much of our life boasting in ourselves. And so Paul notices a couple things about these Judaizers who what they're standing on is not Jesus alone. They're standing on their own merit, their own reputation. See this. Look at verse 12. First thing we see about them is they want to make a good showing in the flesh. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. The first way to tell that you're boasting in yourself is what you really care about is are you putting on a good show? It's a good showing. I, 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 wanna, I care about how I look, how I appear, how I'm coming off to people. Jesus warned about this very thing in the Sermon on the Mount, his longest sermon where he was saying there are some people who, who do good things for good reasons and some people who do things for bad reasons, but they both do good. And here's what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. You get the key word there? Jesus doesn't say, beware of practicing righteousness. Avoid righteousness. He's not saying that. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. He's tapping into a motive here. And Paul is addressing the motive of these Judaizers. He's saying they just want to put on a good show. You know what they are? They're hypocrites. Now, when you and I hear the word hypocrite, we almost always think of someone who says one thing and does another. And that's true as well. He's going to say in verse 13 uh, that, they don't, that those who boast in the, the, their flesh don't even keep the law. So that's, that's part of it. But at the root, a hypocrite is someone who's just playing to the crowd. The word hypocrite actually comes from Greek drama, where there was a character called the hypocrite, and he would wear a mask that was, had two different faces on it. It was a smiley side and a, and a frowny side. And when he was playing the happy person, he would turn this way. When he was playing the sad person, he'd turn this way. Playing to the crowd. It's where we get the expression... Boy, that person is so two-faced. It's putting on a good show. It's doing good things, but doing them for wrong, selfish reasons. It's fundamentally boasting in yourself. That's the first thing we see they do. The second thing they do is they're forceful in their insistence on everyone else doing what they want. 
They're controlling, they're forceful. Do you see verse 12? It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. They would compel you. They would, if they could make you, be circumcised. These are people who are about control because they're boasting in themselves. They know the right thing. They know the right way. They not only know how they should live, they know how everyone else should live. Because they are smarter, they are more righteous, they think. They can't ever admit that they're wrong. We're going through this uh, in our family. We've developed a phrase this week in our, in our family as we drive around and as we do things where one of us will say something that turns out to be wrong. We're learning to say this sentence. It's a very hard sentence. I, I doubt you could even say it with me. I was wrong. We're finding that that is a troubling sentence to have to say. And so we will often all say it together. Let's actually just practice this. Ready? I was wrong. If, if what you're standing on, what you're boasting in, is yourself and your reputation to others and that you know best, you, you'll never be able to say from the heart, I was wrong. And if you do, it, it's maybe only a minor concession to get something else that you really want. And the result is the people around you feel used, they feel abused, they feel controlled, they feel manipulated. They don't feel loved and served. Boasting in yourself, you want to make a good showing, you're forceful and controlling. You also want to avoid persecution for the cross. Look at the end of verse 12. They would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. See, these Judaizers know that if they will say that Jesus alone can save, apart from your works of the law, that all their Jewish friends and family will ostracize them. At, at, at easiest, they'll ridicule them. At worst, they'll, they'll boot them out of the community, excommunicate them from the community. They're, they will suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So Paul here is saying, if you elevate the cross, if you elevate that Jesus is the only way, that you can't get there through your own effort, if you do that, you'll be persecuted. Pastor Mike Shea says it this way. He says, legalistic doctrine is more man-pleasing than you think. It avoids the stumbling block of the cross. People won't persecute you if you give them a religion that inspires their humanistic moral striving. But tell them that they must go to the cross confessing that all their righteous acts are filthy rags and they will be offended. So if you ever go, ah, man, I, I just, I can't, I can't tell the person the truth about Jesus. I can't tell them what Jesus says. I, I, I got to kind of, I got to minimize it. I got to downplay the exclusivity of the gospel. I got, it's probably because what you're standing on is how people perceive you. You're boasting in yourself. And all of this is connected. We see the fourth thing, these uh, people, when you boast yourself, you don't really even keep the law yourself. Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but that they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. This is where we, kind of how we normally understand hypocrisy. You say this, but you don't even do it. They, they, They don't even do all that they 
say that they should do, right? And, and, and Paul makes this point. This is why you can't trust in works of the law because it's said in chapter 3 and in chapter 5 of this book of Galatians that if you want to keep the law, you've got to keep the whole thing. And if you break one part, you've broken the whole thing. And so for them to rely on this, to boast that they are the ones who keep the law, Paul's going, you don't, they don't even do that. But why do they do that? Because they want to control you. They want you to have a good perception of them. They want to come off in a certain light. Again, Mike Shea writes this, legalists are not more obedient than us, but they want you to think that they're holier than you so that, they will go to you, so that you will go to their church. If they can't get you to stand in awe of their righteousness, then they will use fear to make you afraid to go anywhere else. Why? Because it's about them. See, what we saw in chapter 5 especially was that love is the fulfillment of the law. You want to keep the law? Love. But when you're living for yourself, your reputation, when you're standing in your flesh, boasting in yourself, you don't love people. You just use them. And that's what they're about. In the verse 13, they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Look at how many people we got to follow us. Look at how many people go to our church. We must be right. No one could deny these results. And yet it's all about them. Paul contrasts this with verse 14, boasting in the cross. So we'll see five things about Paul as well here. Uh, first, uh, that he will only boast in the cross. Verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Far be it from me. May I never boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. At the heart of your spirituality, at the heart of your faith, at the heart of your religion is whatever you're boasting in, whatever you're standing on. That's at the heart of it. And Paul is saying, may it never be, far be it from me, that I would ever stand on anything except the cross. And he talks about it as boasting, glorying, being delighted in, celebrating the cross. It's hard to, un to understand for us how, how, how scandalous and crazy this is. Okay, because we come into a, you know, you come into a building like this, there's a beautiful wooden cross, and many of you have beautiful crosses around your neck, and some of you have a very um, ornate and well-designed cross tattooed somewhere on your body, and we're used to seeing crosses as things of beauty. I, I've never seen someone with an electric chair tattooed to their arm. What Paul is saying is the thing that thrills me more than anything, the thing that I am going to stand on is the most horrible symbol of execution in human history. Why? Because he knows that there and only there could he actually be made right with God. And he also knows that the only thing that he contributed to that was his sin. His weakness, his failure. Jesus was there in his place. That's all he brought to the table. And so he's willing to boast in that. 
That's, that, that's, that's his whole ground that he's standing on. Part of what's happened with this as well, secondly, is he's been crucified, uh, he's been crucified to the world with Christ. Look at verse 14. Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Here, uh, world probably means the idea of, of critical acclaim, right? That's what he's talking about, the Judaizers. They're just trying to impress the world. Paul's going, I don't care about that. The, the, world, the world's been crucified to me. In Galatians, we've seen that, that the law was crucified to him, and sin was crucified to him, and now the, the praise of men is crucified. And notice, this is a passive thing. This has happened to me. When he trusted Christ, the, he, he, he died to needing the acclaim of people. It has happened. It's a past completed action with ongoing results. He is united to Christ, and that's all that matters. And if, and if this happens to you, you become unstoppable in your boldness. I want to share with you just a, briefly a, a short video. It's about two minutes. It's from Pastor Matt Chandler. He's, one of the, he's actually the president of the Acts 29 Network, uh, the church planning network that we're part of. I can't imitate it or say it any better than he does. So just take a look at, at, at what happens if this truth becomes explosively alive to you. Take a look. Let me give you a biblical example of this freedom. The Apostle Paul. Just an untouchable man. I mean, you just couldn't do anything to him. Just unfazed. And this is a man that was hard-pressed. All right? This was a man that was in prison and beaten and left for dead on more than one occasion. Right? Shipwrecked twice. Maybe even three. Shipwrecked three times. Like, look, man, my plane goes down. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm driving. <laughs> three times shipwrecked. And then one of my favorites, he shipwrecked, gets to an island, gets bit by a snake. Now, at what point are you not going, Lord, are you serious? <laughs> I'm doing your work. Uh, but you couldn't touch him, right? We'll kill you to die as gain. We'll leave you alone to live as Christ. <laughs> we'll torture you. Well, I do not compare the sufferings of this world to be compared to the future glory. We'll put you in prison. Well, give me a hymnal. I'm going to convert all your guards and sing the worship. <laughs> So how's that possible? That, that's possible because his righteousness was a foreign righteousness. It wasn't his own. It was given to him in Jesus Christ. So, so if I could um, take this whole message and kind of just um, boil it down and condense it into its purest form, here's simply what we're celebrating here. That despite me, despite my continued failures, despite my shortcomings and foolish heart, God, because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ to me and his wrath absorbing death on the cross and his resurrection now sees me as perfect and spotless and holy and not because I am, but because he is, which is why Ephesians 2 is going to say that even the faith I had to believe in the grace was given to me by God. So I honestly had nothing to boast in. Like I couldn't even say, well, I believed because the belief given to me was actually a gift. So that God so owns the glory that everything is his. That's why no one should walk with a swagger in the kingdom and no one should walk with a limp. 
Amen, right? That's exactly right. And if you don't listen to Matt Chandler, you should. He just started preaching Galatians. Have fun with that. You'll get to hear how it's actually supposed to happen. Um, but, I, but I love that. Paul, you can't stop him. He's been crucified to the world. He's been crucified. I don't care. I'm living for Jesus. That's all that matters. That's wonderful. You see what truly matters in verse 15 to Paul is not circumcision or uncircumcision. It's new creation. Look at verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. He said a similar thing in chapter 5, verse 6, where he said circumcision doesn't matter. Like, like don't take pride that you got circumcised and don't take pride that you didn't. What matters, he said in chapter 5, verse 6, is faith working through love. Here he says what matters is a new creation. And when you are made new, the biblical idea would be you're born again. The old passes, the new comes. The resurrection is a perfect symbol of this. You're a new creation, it comes out in love. And what happens is you stop caring about the externals and you start caring about the heart. There's blessing that comes from this. Paul says, this is the fourth thing, blessing for those who live by faith, verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. There is peace if you will walk by faith in Christ, if you will walk boasting only in the cross. There's peace there because you don't have to keep up a reputation. You don't have to keep up honor. You don't have to keep up what does everyone think of me and live in that hall of mirrors. You're boasting in Christ. Him alone. There's mercy there. You walk apart from this rule, there's not peace, there's not mercy, but there's blessing for those who walk by faith. And then finally you see that this enabled Paul to suffer greatly for, for Jesus' sake. Verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. He's like, guys, uncle, can we stop talking about this? Like, can you just get it by now? Leave me alone about this issue. He says, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He's saying, I have scars and bruises because of what I've taken for Jesus, because I've boasted only in him. I have bigger things to worry about. And you keep falling into this. I've been willing to suffer for Jesus. I love how Scott McKnight says it. He says, the Judaizers had a fleshly mark, circumcision, but Paul had a better one, persecution. Both get a fleshly mark. One is all about you. The other one is all about Christ. So where are you boasting? That's the question. Are you boasting in yourself or are you boasting in the cross? Are you fundamentally worried about propping yourself up so that you could get whatever you think will satisfy? Or are you admitting, I'm weak, helpless. I only need Jesus. I want to finish uh, today by um, just kind of sharing a God story. We, We call them God stories around here. A lot of times we'll interview somebody just about how is God at work in, in their life, what has God been doing. So I'm going to interview myself. <laughs> Not really. Um, but, but I do want to just share with you uh, some of what God's been doing in my life in the last couple weeks that really relates, I think, I think pretty clearly to this. 
And so a few weeks ago, some of you that were here will remember that I wasn't here. John Benzinger preached, and I was with a, a team, a couple guys from our staff and from some of the other congregations of redemption. And we were in Seattle uh, for a thing called uh, a Redemption Group Immersion. And uh, Redemption Groups is a program that seeks to help apply the gospel to people who are dealing with sin and suffering. Okay, how many people deal with sin and suffering? Okay, right, everybody, right? So this is, um, you know, some people are more aware of it than others, but this is a program for that. And, and a big part of our heart um, as a church has been, we'd like to create an environment where we could help people dealing with that. People especially who know, I'm dealing with stuff, I need some help. Um, and, and so we went up there, and, and my sort of hope about it was that we could go and kind of observe how this works and then bring it back. They didn't let that happen. Um, the people that run this, they call it an immersion for a reason. And they basically said, listen, if you were here to just sort of learn how to do redemption groups and then go take it back to your church, that's not what's going to happen. What you came here for, even if you didn't realize it, is to go through a redemption group. And so uh, they took this, this program that would normally go 10 or 11 weeks and condensed it into four days. And there was teaching, kind of looking at the, the exodus as this paradigm for how God rescues and delivers people, all pointing to Christ. And then we would break into these small gender-specific groups led by really well-trained and godly leaders and uh, trying to apply, how, how does this, uh, what is God trying to, to deal with in your heart? And... Um, I wasn't ready for that. I, I didn't go for that. I went to learn how to do it and take it back here, and, and God had other plans for me. And so uh, God knew that there was some areas of sin and some areas of uh, unbelief, and he used that weekend to, to zero in on them. And, uh, and the main thing that, that he revealed through, through the course of this whole thing, and I, I it would take a lot longer to explain kind of all that happened in those four days. But essentially what, what the Lord zeroed in on was that I had, at least for a decent season leading up to that immersion, really been relying a lot on myself and was filled with uh, self-sufficiency and pride that would often take different forms. And, and these are kind of like, it's not like big, obvious, like everybody sees this. It's, it's a subtle, dark, insidious kind of, of sin of the heart. And, uh, and, and essentially, I mean, it reveals itself in prayerlessness. I'll confess this to you. This is, again, to my shame. Um, there have been weeks where the first time I pray on Sunday is on stage. That's not common. That's not regular, but that's happened. And that's That's wicked. That's self-sufficient. Um, it's, it's come out in, in a, an attitude of entitlement in my family and in our church of going, I, I want things a certain way, that's how they should be. And if it's not that way, then I'm going to grumble and I'm going to, even if it doesn't come out just in my heart, I'm just, I deserve better. And, and so it sort of had come out there. And, and here was probably the, the worst part that came out is, because none of that's new to me. Like, I've known that I struggle with that for a long time. The, the really dark part was I had kind of made peace with it. I had kind of just accepted it. Like, well, just how I am. I just struggle with prayer. 
You know, I just like things a certain way. I'm a type A personality. And, uh, and I had just, and this, this process revealed, I, I had just sort of accepted it. Rather than seeing it as, a, as an offense to God. And, and fighting it and repenting of it. In fact, there was this one time when we were sort of, everyone was asked like, hey, what are you struggling with? <laughs> that kind of, not exactly. But. And uh, no one was saying much, so I threw something out there. And they asked me, and this just, this just nailed me. They said, now are you confessing sin right now? Or are you just making conversation? And they were exactly right. Because I said it in a flippant way, I struggle with this. Kind of like a, yeah, and I just don't care. And it was like, do you actually want to, do you want to deal with that? No. <laughs> <laughs> and and God, it was like I was wrestling the Holy Spirit, and he just wouldn't let me off the mat. I would come up for a breath, and he'd slam me back down. <laughs> and, uh, and I was reminded how much God hates pride. I'd shared all, I shared a bunch of that last week. I've been in this, pro, just processing this for a few weeks. And, um, and, it, and it led to a real sweet time of repentance and of acknowledging that that was true and that that's not uh, honoring to God. It's not who I want to be as a man, as a husband, as a pastor. And to see that the greatest joy I could have is in the presence of God and his presence is fullness of joy. And so it was this time of of, of repentance and renewing but but here's what I saw I saw that I had drifted into a place where I was boasting in myself while I'm teaching a whole book I'm not doing that even priding myself I'm, I'm someone that gets the gospel and uh and I saw I didn't get it as deeply as I thought and my guess is you don't either so I don't, I don't share this just as some sort of therapeutic like so make me feel, believe me, this doesn't feel good to talk about. Um, I realize I'm handing some of you stones to throw at me. They even asked, in one, they said, what would, what would it look like if you, if the people of your church saw limping Luke instead of just, I got it all together, Luke? And there's a scary part of that, honestly. But they also said, which do you think God would be more likely to pour out his power on. Yep. And so I, I, I want to tell you that because I think that we all have some wrestling to do with whether you're boasting in yourself or in the cross. Now here's, here's, here's what's so sweet about um, that we've been going through Galatians and the things that God has been teaching and preparing in me for that moment where I was going to become face to face with some areas of sin that I wasn't dealing with. Is, is through the book of Galatians, I have some language to remind myself now who I am in Christ. That I don't have to stay there. Jesus died as a selfish, arrogant jerk in my place. He took that for me. So that I could have a new identity in him. So I just want to remind myself, and I want to remind you, what the book of Galatians has said about who we are. If we're in Christ, there are some glorious truths about who we are in Christ. First of all, chapter 1, verse 4 says that we are delivered. I am delivered. I am rescued from self. I am rescued from selfishness. I am delivered from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. That is good news. 
Not only am I delivered, I am justified, it says in chapter 2, verse 16. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. I've been declared righteous. I've been made right with God. I've been justified. That's who I am now in Christ. No longer sinner, but saint. It gets better. I've been blessed. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ became a curse for us by being hung on a tree. Verse 14 says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to us. I'm blessed in Christ. Ephesians 1 says that I already have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Chapter 4 tells me I'm adopted. I'm a son of God. God sent forth his son, chapter 4, verse 4, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, God loves me so much as a son that when, when he sees me in this place where I'm tolerating my sin and I've made peace with it, he isn't going to let me do that. He loves me too much. He disciplines the one he loves. And so he uses his word and his spirit and his people to say, Luke, I love you. You are my son. And I am not going to let you have anything other than the best. And what's best for you is me. I'm also an heir. I'm an heir with Christ. It says in chapter 4, verse 7, you're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That means there is an inheritance for me. There is an inheritance for those of you who are in Christ. You get God forever. You're an heir. You're also free. 5.1 says, for freedom Christ has set us free. You have true freedom to be who God made you to be. Freedom from sin. Freedom from self. Free now to love one another. And so I'm also now a servant. That's who I am in Christ. It's not just that I have the option to serve. I am now, by identity, a servant. 5.13, you were called to freedom, brothers. Use that opportunity, not for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. I also don't have to be led by myself, but I can be led by the Spirit. Chapter 5.16 says, walk by the Spirit. Chapter 5.18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're no longer under the law. I don't have to depend on myself. I can cast my anxiety on Him because He cares for me. I can go by His power into areas that I would be way too afraid to deal with. That's who I am now. I'm spirit Led. And then finally, 6.15, what we just looked at, I'm a new creation. The old Luke has died. Put your name in that sentence if you're in Christ. It's not who you are anymore. You're a new creature. The old has passed. The new has come. So, so the challenge of walking by faith is the challenge to become who you already are. This is who you are. You're delivered. You're justified. You're blessed. You're adopted. You're an heir. You're free. You're a servant. You're spirit-led. You're a new creation. That's 
great news. If there's any part, like if you want to stand up and shout about that, that's fine with me. I mean, that is good news. And, and, I can go, and I can go deep into a place of honesty before God and honesty before you about my sin. And that's real. And that's ugly. But I can come up out of that into who I am in Christ. That's, that's the fight I'm fighting. And I think, that's, I think that's what it is to fight for grace. Will you, will you join me in that fight? I know that you have sin in your life you've made peace with. I know there are areas where you are boasting in yourself and in your reputation, just like me. And, I, and yet, don't let, well, we all do it, be an excuse to just do it. There is a better life living out who you are in Christ, boasting in the cross. Let's go there. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we... Uh, we come before you and I come before you acknowledging my sin and acknowledging that in many ways I love myself more than I love you. And I thank you for the work of your spirit to cleanse and renew and redeem that. I thank you for the promises we've read in this book of Galatians. I pray that they would wash over us and renew us, and give us ways to fight for grace. Lord, we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I think it's absolutely appropriate to respond. We're going to do that. The band is going to come, and they're going to sing.